Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And this isn't my favorite part of the movie. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? <laughs> we are closing out the never-ending story with part three, Escape from Fantasia. The Neverending Story 3 is a German-American fantasy film directed by Peter McDonald and produced by Cinevox Film Production with Warner Brothers Entertainment. It premiered in Germany on October 27, 1994, and in the United States almost 18 months later, and stars Jason James Richter, Melody Kay, Jack Black, Julie Cox, and Kevin McNulty. What is our fan review for the week? Well, our review this week comes from Rotten Tomato Fan Reviews from Ollie W, who said, Four stars. Though I personally prefer the second of the three films, this one is just as good and does contain lovable moments, mainly due to its more emotional aspect. <laughs> I picked this one, not really at all because of what he said about this movie, but more because I'm astounded that someone's favorite is the second of this trilogy. Y yep, I agree. That is a take. <laughs> Let's just get right into it, because this movie is, it's just a lot. This movie is a lot. This movie is a lot. Um, right, I'm going to stop you right before we get into it, because Please. that's what I do. I, I knock the training wheels off of this podcast, <laughs> and I make your job harder for you than it needs to be. And I'm going to say up top, Mark, I had a good time with this movie. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, and I was excited to talk to you about it because... Listen, this isn't a good movie in kind no. of any shape, but it is a movie that not only keeps its pacing very well, mm -hmm. but also aches of the mid-90s, which works for me. <laughs> it's so aches of the mid-90s, Mark. The whole time <laughs> I was watching this, I was like, this is a Disney Channel original right? movie. Yep. This is a Disney Channel original movie. This is a hundred percent has that vibe of like you can very much feel the shift from like weird, heavy German fantasy of the late eighties mm -hmm. to deeply American influenced fantasy of the mid nineties. Yeah, it's, it's got a totally different tone. Yeah, it's like some can of worms ass like <laughs> shit going on. It's let's please get into this movie but like i i 100 percent had a good time with this movie <laughs> and i i know it's not good like there's at least a handful of jokes where i'm like what are y'all doing but i also had resigned myself going into this so that i was like the bar's on the floor the bar is like non-existent <laughs> all i hear is bad things about this movie right and like so i knew it was not going to be like high quality cinema going in and then i went in and i was like this is i've never i don't think i've ever actually seen this movie before as we mentioned on <laughs> the last podcast and yet i had nostalgia for everything that was happening <laughs> so it opens on just a crazy old man and what appears to be an ice cave and not only appears to be in terms of like it visually looks like an ice cave, but he is also shiver, giving me the impression that he's very cold because he's surrounded by ice. Yes. But will be referred to repeatedly as a crystal cave. Already this movie is making some choices. It's cool to see <laughs> that the old man who lives on top of the mountain and also owns a never ending story is now in these movies proper. Right. Yep. <laughs> so they did just take that guy straight from the book. So that's that's something. It is. Yeah. It's nice to see him there. 
It has a very sort of 1970s Superman Fortress of Solitude look to it. It's something. (laughs) (laughs) I like it because it's corny. Yeah. And I don't think that's a good response to have, but it opens on just like this goofball old hermit reading from an ancient book in an ice cave, and I'm on board. Yeah, it. I mean, if this, if already you're like, this is corny, I love it. I have some good news about the rest of this movie for you. <laughs> so he's reading from it very much to establish the plot. Mm-hmm. We have dispensed with kind of any need to tiptoe our way into a plot. We're just going to have an old guy read us the plot right up front so we understand what's going on. I'm okay with this framing device, actually. It's not bad. It's not bad. Because we've already had two go-rounds with this sort of more obtuse version of this story. And so it feels like at least it's a different way to approach it. That's the whole conceit of the thing. Like, it is someone reading the never-ending story. So (laughs) it works for me. It's fine. And what he reads is that... Fantasia is going to be threatened again for what is now the third time mm-hmm. by something called the nasty. The na- yeah, it's <laughs> which I mean that's what we called fucking growing up, right? That's, yes, absolutely. They did that's the been nasty. around for a while. <laughs> okay, not just me. Cool. <laughs> but don't worry, he's going to go on to explain what it is. Uh huh. It is an evil force that takes hold of humans when they stop reading. And I will say, from my personal experience, my original interpretation still kind of lines up. Yeah, it, yeah, 100%. (laughs) Especially for a 90s movie, it's like, maybe get your head out of books. Right. (laughs) Between these legs. Can we even air this episode, Mark? All we've done is talk about fucking for the last five minutes. The follow-up is they need a voracious reader to fight it. They need someone who's got, you know, just a crazy imagination voracious okay yeah that's i i I am not editorializing there that's the word he used and also he's like okay well if the problem is sex what we need is a super nerd yeah correct (laughs) which is again a very 90s take take on the whole situation yep all right cut to bastion i guess we we can understand that it's bastion because he is the lead of the movie and characters Mm -hmm. repeat his name frequently But this is yet another new actor in Bastion. Everyone is new in this movie and they have to make sure to say their name out loud. (laughs) So with like, I will say the visuals for this boy, I could see it as like a five years older on the other side of adolescence version of Bastion from movie one. I don't dislike this Bastion's casting, at least not. Not in the same way that I disliked Bastion (laughs) 2. So we cut to Bastion in school, who is running away from presumably bullies. We don't really get a good look at them initially. Mm -hmm. And he runs into the school library. We, the viewer, haven't been given a lot of information yet. But he bumps into Mr. Coriander, the guy, the famously taciturn man who does not like children, who owns a bookstore, who is now working for a school, I guess? Yep, that tracks. That's exactly what that character would do. (laughs) And seems to have relocated (laughs) his entire personal allotment of books into the school library. Is this old man stalking Bastion? Mark, level with me here. I had not considered that, but that's a really, that's about the only interpretation that makes any of this make sense. He is just always where Bastion is. They move to another town. His parent, his parent, singular, 
gets remarried and like Coriander's just like right there waiting for him to right. like <laughs> subtly be like, don't take the book I know you're going to take. <laughs> Please don't relieve me of my curse. In the school library now is a copy mm-hmm. of Fantasia, which seems like a very bad place to keep this book. Mr. Coriander says it's only a reference book. You're not allowed to check it out. Bastion, of course, grabs the book immediately and starts reading to catch up. He opens to a chapter called, I think, The Nasties? Yeah, that sounds about right. And this is, I found to be a particularly delightful plot mechanism for sort of backfilling plot. Open the book. Here's what happened so far. Right. So he's going to just open the book and read his his own story for a bit, which will let us, the viewer catch up on what has happened since NeverEnding Story 2. What has happened largely is that his dad has gotten married and turned into a third completely different person. And I don't mean a new actor. It's no surprise that there's new actors. But his dad has had a wildly different personality in every movie that he's been in. Is there like a NeverEnding Storyverse happening here? And this is a different Bastion... Because this happens every time, right? Like, yep. his dad is just a very different human being, different temperament, different likes, interests, yeah. different levels of mental illness. It's all over the map. And unless something happened that I missed that somehow erased Fantasia from his brain, his dad is acting as if he has no idea what's going on. When he read the book last movie, he was like the secondary protagonist on the human side. Either way, his dad is newly married doesn't just eat eggs, just raw eggs for breakfast. <laughs> he doesn't just sadly eat eggs and forget yeah. about his son. And I don't know how to read this because I know it is just like, listener, if you didn't grow up in the 90s, you should know that the 90s were full of many bad stereotypes about men, women, and relationships. And this, this it could just be that the 90s was a particularly bad time for a lot of these tropes. But these two characters do not seem to like each other at all. No. And they don't track as a couple at any point in the movie. It was the 90s. It was a different time. We didn't realize people could be in happy relationships because all our parents were getting divorced or in loveless marriages. That may be true because of all of, like, in the media that we had portraying it was either kids whose parents were getting divorced were kids whose parents, like, all of the comedy came from the fact that they just liked each other and, like, had to constantly trick each other or barter with each other to get what they want? If you're asking, are we okay? Are, like, just we as a society okay? Like, <laughs> clearly not. Have you seen our media? Have you seen the way that we re- represent <laughs> right. ourselves in said media? So I can't really track this relationship at all, although the stepmother seems there, present, I guess, is about the best I can <laughs> say for her. The mom is there. The mom is trying. The mom is like... That is very true. The mom is just always like, I don't want him. I don't want the new my new son to hate me. I don't want to be the evil stepmother. So she's like aggressively overcorrecting. <laughs> that That is true. She is... At least she is trying. Yeah. She is stuck with the, the sad mom trope of like... I don't think this is 90s. This is all of American media up to recently and still often recently. Like, oh, it's just the mom's job to be the referee forever. <laughs> and she is very much that, even though she has been married for two weeks. Yeah, th- that's that's the lady's job. Clearly. Right. <laughs> but she is at least gamely trying to like build a relationship with her new son. And that's cool. That is admirable. So that dad has gotten married. Bastion now has a stepsister named Nicole who I think we're supposed to interpret as, like, 90s cool. 
She's just like, what's her fucking name? The middle sibling on Full House. Oh, Stephanie. That's very good. That's true. That It's got that. What's the actress's name? It's the same energy, I feel. Jodie Sweden? Jodie Sweden. That's, that's correct. So the big deal with Nicole largely is that she <laughs> is a slightly younger sister. She still goes to the same school, so they're within a couple of years. But she has kind of a normal, established, everyday life. Bastion is intruding on it. And she doesn't want to be embarrassed by a geeky older brother, especially because a new brother is a chance to like, oh, this could be a real positive for me. She keeps him at arm's length for most of the movie, which again is fair. New step sibling. Mm -hmm. I get it. She also spends a lot of time listening to a disc man, which I really love, or perhaps a Walkman even. Yeah, we hear Kiss from a Rose coming through it like in the movie. And I, I, I'm glad you noted this in our, our show notes because it very much stuck out to me. I was like, oh, I know exactly when this happened. <laughs> I, I know exactly where I was in my life. <laughs> the flashback carries us through the beginning of day one of school where Bastion spikes his hair to embarrass his sister, I think, right? That's, that's what that was. It seems to be the case. Like he just wanted to like make just to upset his sister, which is, you know, like we, if you've had a sibling, you've grown up being like, I'm going to do this thing just to piss them off. (laughs) (laughs) But then immediately regrets it whenever he gets to school and he's like, Oh, I have my hair looks in a way that I am now self-conscious about. Oops. I look like kid vid from Burger King. I, I played myself. I look like young Frankenstein. (laughs) So he immediately bumps into the school bullies who are mm-hmm. so terrifying that everyone in school quite literally flees from them as they walk down the hall. Yeah, who are all like in their like early 20s. <laughs> I looked it up. Jack Black is 25 and a couple of the others are older than him. These are whole ass adults just perusing the hall of this, this school. <laughs> it's... But Jack Black's here, and honestly, I'm I'm here for it. It's Jack Black knows what kind of movie he's in, I feel. <laughs> sure. Jack Black is playing Khan from The Wrath of Khan. It's amazing. <laughs> it's real good. It is. These these bullies are like the cartoonish picture book version of nineties bullies. They belong in a Disney Channel original movie. They it, They sure do. This whole movie feels like that's where it belongs. <laughs> I think it doesn't help that that the Henson Creature Company took over the puppeteering for this. Mm-hmm. And so the puppets have a kind of softer, rounder, more American kind of vibe. Weird. And I love Henson, but it's a weird fit for the previous two movies. The puppets in this movie are the ones of new characters I feel look good. And the ones sure. of returning characters feel very off. To me. Unsettlingly off. Yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so these bullies are cartoonishly 90s. They've got like leather jackets and like greaser hair. Mm -hmm. For some reason, 90s bullies looked very much like Happy Days bullies. I don't know why we recycled that particular trope in the 90s, but we did. Well, because the people that were in charge were the people who were very into Happy Days (laughs) in the 80s. And boomers, so... That's probably true. Yeah, most of the bullies that I knew wore, like, khakis and layered shirts. I did not know any greasers in 90s high school. This group of people, it looks like we're, like, two seconds away from Balkan School rounding the corner, and (laughs) they would all fit in. 
Bastion fails to run from the bullies timely, mm-hmm. and thus they catch him. And we do get our first look at a very clean-shaven Jack Black, mm-hmm. who I think is supposed to have like a five o'clock shadow. It's, I don't know. His look is very good to me. I don't know why. <laughs> but it might just be because I like Jack Black. He's got that perfect like lip-raisy, like half-grin, half-snarl. But I was very delighted with all of it. And the energy of his gang, most of whom don't really speak, except for, is it Dog, I think? Is his name Dog? Is it Doug? I don't know. The, yeah, the the one that exists for him to yell at. I think know? it is Dog, Mookie, Coil, and Rage are the four other members. Rage. <laughs> He's the big guy, of course. Oh, of course. Who's Mookie? Mookie is Marcia, the girlfriend from the end. Okay, okay. <laughs> but they're just they're just all great. They've got like snake tattoos and half-shaved heads. It's it's fantastic. But the the one of them has like the devil lock or whatever it's called. It's just like yep. the thing the thing where you just twist up a bunch of hair and it hangs just in the middle of your yep. fucking face. <laughs> and collectively they wore more leather than I think all of my entire 90s high school wore. Yeah, sure. <laughs> But I love I love these five goofballs. And it just starts like a Scooby-Doo-esque chase through the hallways. Pretty much, yeah. And it ends briefly in basement, the boiler room. They, 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 they catch him and take him and lock him somewhere. I think it's a boiler room, maybe. I think that's the idea. They drag him down there and then the janitor, question mark, finds them. And I guess it's a janitor, yeah. And it's like, yo, what the fuck are y'all kids doing? You're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you expelled because you, you just, you kids suck. You are one strike away from expulsion and this looks like a strike to me. Yeah. And then like Jack Black just calls Bastion Balthazar this entire thing, (laughs) which is, which is such a weird take to me, but like, okay, you, you're selling me, whatever. You're Jack Black. You can do whatever you want. It's fine. He gets free because the janitor sets him free and he like effectively mm-hmm. testifies against the bullies so he is it indirectly responsible for their expulsion seems to be the case i think is the implication and then they chase him to the library and that is where his reading of the never-ending story catches back up with the proper timeline yeah that sounds about right and then like they're pounding to get in the light they're like get us in the light right and they find him and he has to like spirit himself away to fantasia he just yells at the book until it lets him in I do not remember that being a feature of the book previously. I don't think it is. Because the reason it let him in in the second book was because Arin the amulet was on the cover. Yeah, which is not on the cover now. It's like some weird orb. Right. Yep. It's everything's new in this movie, y'all. It's again, this might as well be a multiverse and these are different characters. I feel like it has to be because the entire point of that last movie was don't be a selfish fuck, Bastion. And then like. He's demanding this book that taught him this lesson to do what he... The whole movie he spends yelling, this is my story, my story. I think the idea is at this point, Bastion consciously or subconsciously sort of views himself as the creator god of the never-ending story. It seems to be the case. Because he has remade it, you know, twice. Mm -hmm. And he has remade it according to his own kind of imaginations and decisions. So he now views it as his... Even though the narrative has informed us many times that he is just one player in a story that has existed long before him and will exist long after him. 
It is not his. He is just part of the story. Why did he give the book back if he feels like he's this omniscient? Like the long and short of it is this movie doesn't concern itself with these details. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's fine. He just yells at the book and a really, really cheap camera trick serves as like our teleportation visual. It's really weird how they choose to display that. It looks like they said to the cameraman, like, just jiggle the camera a few times and, like, close the lens once or twice. Yeah, we get a couple of those in this movie. (laughs) We do, because that's how teleportation works. It used to be that you dive off of a cliff into a (laughs) thousand foot waterfall. Right, right. Not anymore. That was the only way out. (laughs) But he does. He lands in Fantasia and lands with one foot in the house of Angerwook and Urgle, who are back for the first time since the first movie. Yes, I'm so glad they're back. They are the most consistent of all of the non-Bastion characters, maybe including Bastion, the most consistent characterization. There's no reason for them to be in this movie at all. They are very tertiary to the plot at all times, but it's fun having them for reasons that I can't really explain. Yeah, they do fuck all in this movie, but I'm glad they're there. Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, they're angry at first. They come out to yell at the giant who is, you know, put a foot in their house until Mm -hmm. they recognize Bastion. It's a cute little moment. It is nice to see that reunion. I guess they have moved on from watching the Sphinx. It seems to be the case. And they live kind of mid-forest now. Mm-hmm. That's all pretty fun. Like, this initial look at Fantasia, and early on, the backgrounds are kind of very painted scenery again. But as mm-hmm. we, like, drill into the world, we get our first look at, like, the puppetry of this world. And it is very obviously Henson puppets. And not that Henson didn't do marionettes and whatnot, but, like, the older, older Fantasia movies had either sort of walk-around costumes, Mm -hmm. which these ones do too, or like marionetted birds and whatnot. And a lot of these new ones definitely look, they have the the specific shape of the creature Mm -hmm. shop, right? Like they just just look like Henson puppets in a way that's hard to pin down. And it's not to say that that can't work in a movie like this because Labyrinth exists and Dark Crystal exists. Like they do weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel like it quite dialed in for this one, though. This is where we get introduced to Barky. Yes. Which I had to keep reminding myself was not just a weird thing he was calling Falcor later in this movie, <laughs> but is the name of this tree man. Barky, the very Jewish tree. <laughs> very Jewish coated tree. It's. <laughs> if Inglewook and Urgel weren't already, you know, coated that way, the tree's here too. He is just this movie's new character each of the trilogy kind of gives us a new weird character a new like fantasia-esque character to be a party member i'll call it i appreciate that at no point does he look at the camera and explain what just happened like that fucking bird true so (laughs) he's already like one up on our old pal from movie two (laughs) yeah barky is i'm not gonna say he's great but he is largely inoffensive like he's There and kind of fun at times. We cut away quickly from the never-ending story in a trend that I had forgotten since the last time I had watched this film, which is very little of this film happens in Fantasia. (laughs) So we cut to the nasties who have found the never-ending story and Mm -hmm. their leader, Slip, I think is his name. Is that right? I I could not tell you. He's just Jack Black to me. (laughs) 
Yes. Jack Black sees the open book, picks it up, reads it, and quickly puts together what's going on. Clearly the brains of the operation. Absolutely. I appreciate that he doesn't, I mean, beyond some initial, like, what's happening? Why is the book saying the things that I am saying? Like, once he sorts it out, he never really questions it. He just buys in. He is fine with this. They do the whole, like, why is this book saying what I just said? And then he reads in the book, why is the book saying what I just said? The man, they do that whole thing, which uh, goes on, I think, like, maybe 2% longer than it needs yes, to. It does, not it does at least one lap more than it had to on that joke. Yeah. But he puts it together quickly mm-hmm. and says, oh, well, this is great. I am going to use this book to just be like a bully to an entire fantasy world. It'll be fun. So they destroy the library, like physically destroy the library, which Mm -hmm. manifests as like fireballs attacking Fantasia. Seems to be the case. This is officially the nasty, Mm -hmm. I guess, because the gang calls themselves the nasties. Right. Which no self-respecting gang would ever do. And that is like the threat that the old guy read about at the top of the book or the top of the movie, rather. So... They're just, like, (laughs) doing bad things, and it's making bad things happen in Fantasia. I guess. It's it's unclear how much is him specifically saying he wants these things to happen in Fantasia. Or how much of just destroying the things around him is, like, we don't know how, but bad things are happening in Fantasia because he has the book. Yes, yeah. How much of it is intentional, who knows, but there is a correlation and causation there. Mm -hmm. Bastion immediately kind of puts two and two together and says, ah, dang it, they must have found the book. I've got to get home. And they, they do a little kind of Engelwook and Urgle put their heads together and say, it's got to be Arryn. That's the only other way home. You you have to get to the Ivory Tower and get it from the Childlike Empress so that you can get back to Earth and save the book itself to thus save Fantasia. At this juncture, Falcor shows up. Yes. I think I had warned you at some point that Falcor's intelligence kind of decreases across the trilogy. It, that sounds familiar. Um, but it really bottoms out here. <laughs> yeah, this Falcor is just... They said, look, he already looks like a golden retriever. Let's just go whole hog. And this, <laughs> <laughs> and th- you get exactly what you see. If there's to be any explanation for it, it has to be that Bastion remade him dumb, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Bastion put the world back together. The thing, yeah, I think Falcor gets the shortest end of the short stick in this movie. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to land. A bumbling, flying golden retriever. It's <laughs> it's a little painful, y'all. It, but, like, you know, you, you adjust and you realize this is a Disney Channel original movie. And that's where your yes. expectations have to be. It is very good for a goofy comic relief sidekick in a mid-90s Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know how to read that, then Falcor Reads is exactly that. It is just impossibly weird for a character that was kind of like a wise sage two movies ago. Mm-hmm. The character is completely different, but it works for what it's supposed to be in this. I don't know why Falcor is the comic relief in this movie. I don't, yeah, everyone's the comic relief in this movie. That's how Disney Channel original <laughs> movies go. Everyone's that, just that here to be accurate. a joke machine. Uh, and Falcor is here to provide transportation, but also to say, no, no, she is not in the ivory tower. Mm-hmm. She is gone to the wandering mountains. 
Yeah. So everyone just climbs on Falcor, like the tree and the two gnomes and Bastion climb mm-hmm. on Falcor and they head off for the wandering mountains together. Mm-hmm. Now, and I realize this is an absurd statement to make, but now the movie's going to get weird. Now the movie's going to get weird. Is this where we get rock biters for the first time? Yeah, although the movie insists on referring to them as rock chewers. Does it? Yeah, a couple of times they call them rock, which is the name of the race, not the family. The family is the Rockbiter family who belong to the race of rock chewers. Well, let's not get pedantic. So it's just like, it is just like sometimes they, it's like, hey, human, get over here. So. How, how do we, want, how do, how, how do we how want do to we talk about this? the Rockbiter? <laughs> um. <laughs> They're in their own sitcom off screen this entire time and have just somehow intersected with this movie is how I feel about the Rockbiters. These are not the same characters we've met in the last movie. No. Like the last two. This is what is happening here. <laughs> Again, too, we are leaning into 90s relationship tropes because these two people are deeply unhappy in their marriage. They what? So this is something I'm I'm half stealing this from you, but it's accurate in the notes here. They are like the couple from the dinosaurs. Out of yes. like you know, like the '90s showed the dinosaurs. Listener, the, yes, the, the Henson made by did. the Henson Company. <laughs> yeah, the baby looks and behaves very much like the baby. I wish I could erase Junior from existence. Honestly, <laughs> Just, so terrible. He might be my least favorite movie, like or <laughs> movie, my least favorite character in this franchise. Like, just I. I want to punt him, but he's made of rock and it would hurt my tootsies. And I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> why, why, why is this dumb rock baby in this movie? I'm so annoying. I do not like him. He is on screen far too often. They, <laughs> why they decided to make Junior a pivotal character and why they decided to put like rock biter himself in a wife beater made out of rock. Yep. He sure is. And he looks wrong. He looked like the proportions. Like, it does not look yep. like the rock biter that we it know. It is because they use the, like, the Hensons had that specific style, right? They did the Gorgs mm-hmm. and then kind of refined that into the dinosaurs. Right. And this is, I guess, right around or just before dinosaurs happened. So it is very much that specific style of puppet. And mm-hmm. rather than making a puppet that looked like rock biter, they're like, I don't know, just make the, make the Gorgs more rocky. Yep, it's like it's like a remote controlled face that moves and does things and a man in a suit yeah. and Yep. It's real weird. Like the original Rockbiter had like so many people simultaneously controlling it like with remotes. Right. This is one of the few times you look at a movie and you go, "Wow, the Henson company did puppets worse than whoever they're taking over for." Yeah. <laughs> whoever replaced them. Multiple times I thought, like, did they send in the B team for this? Like, was the A team busy making dinosaurs? Right. But yeah, Rockbiter, who famously mused about, like, how his hands built for strength were not strong enough to save those he loved, Mm -hmm. is now just a sad man who watches TV and ignores his wife and desperately wants an excuse to get out of the house. It's very weird. It's it's bizarre. It is a choice that was made for this movie. I just said that Falcor may have got it wor- the worst, but maybe the Rockbiters had it even worse than Falcor got it's it. It's possible, yeah. And so he, his wife sends him out for like dinner, effectively go harvest some rock for dinner. Mm-hmm. Junior goes with him, <laughs> and they get on his bicycle, his tricycle, right? And there's just a weird montage to uh, Born to Be oh. Wild, like all of Born to Be Wild plays. I. <laughs> 
I out loud said, what the fuck? <laughs> this sucks whenever this happens. It's, it's very weird. It's, it is 200% the worst point in this movie to me. It's, it's so bizarre. And it's shot like it's supposed to be an edgy, mo- like a motorcycle montage, but it's just a big rock puppet on a giant tricycle. It plays like a bit out of the Rugrats where they're like lambasting <laughs> these moments more than it does an actual moment. That is exactly what it plays like. There is a weird moment where we just watch a rabbit get run over and slowly die on screen. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> I don't know why that had to happen. It's. You know, like it gets run over, it gets flattened. And then just in case you weren't sure, it raises its head to like gasp its last breath. If you are, we're not already in complete and utter tonal whiplash. Just like (laughs) one extra. What the fuck to happen? (laughs) So while that's going on, the Empress makes it into the wandering mountains and finds the old man. He fills her in and says like, no, no, you can't do anything here because her initial reaction finally the childlike empress is like look this is my kingdom i'll just handle business it's nice to see uh but the guy says no no you can't it has to be like the boy who reads or whatever that was so (laughs) the childlike empress uses the amulet uses orin to Mm -hmm. wish for bastion which is correct that's you know everyone knows what's going on here the childlike empress knows what's going on this is bastion's story (laughs) i think this is the point where i have to stop and ask you is her assistant supposed to be Chiron? Did they whitewash Chiron? Did I? I mean, that's a, that's certainly. I at least had that thought as well. Like they don't ever name the character. I don't know if the Chiron ever got named previously, anyway. But like in this movie specifically, they don't ever say whoever the hell is next to her. So I think we're supposed right. to assume that. But now <laughs> Chiron is white. So yeah, it was a choice. I look, it, I know there's a million Chiron things. Chiron was so cool in the last movies. Chiron yeah. is amazing. Like we did. I don't. I don't know that Chiron even does much. But yeah, like he just exudes coolness. And this. Yeah. This character sucks. Uh, Yeah, this Joker is ridiculous. Whoever he is, I'm not a fan. I don't like his vibe. I don't like his demeanor. (laughs) I don't like his aesthetic. I would like to pay uh, Bastion Balthazar Bucks to write him out of the never-ending story moving forward. Yes, (laughs) please. Because he is... He's not doing it for me. (laughs) So, Bastion arrives right as her wish is made. And they have a brief chat where they kind of catch up with everything that's going on. And Bastion says, no problem. Give me Oren. I will wish myself home and we'll take care of this. But I guess his wishes aren't strong enough, which which, as far as I can tell, is a new rule for Oren. Something. It's that may have been present in the book. I don't remember that. It certainly was not in the movie preceding this. He would just be like, man, I wish I had, I wish I could climb this mountain one stone ledge at a time. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Couldn't you wish for a ladder, you absolute chunts? (laughs) Nope. So he can't, he can't wish his way home. So all of his friends hold hands in a big wish circle and they're all going to wish together. Care Bear style. Mm -hmm. Which sort of works, except for, I don't remember what they say. They use some goofy phrase for it, but like the wish goes bad and they all go with him, including Junior, who I guess was just nearby harvesting rocks with his dad and like stormed into the cave. Ran over there and held their hand so that they could get teleported back to feudal Japan 
and have to track down the scepter. It gave me big I Turtles 3 uh, vibes in this moment where they get whisked away. Yep. I don't know why, but it did. We are now, we are treated to a sequence of never-ending story characters interacting with the human world. Yes. Falcor's been here before. He should know what's going on. Right. He definitely does not, and he tries to talk to an aeroplane. He, God, I would, I do wish we had an extended sequence of him, like, taking a fancy to an airplane and, like, just flying next to it and being like, can I get your number? I, I would, I would pay good money to see them shoot that. I, do, I don't know why, but that amuses me. We also see Barky trying to have a chat with some trees. Like you do. He cracks a Greenpeace joke. I don't know how he has a frame of reference for Greenpeace, but he cracks a Greenpeace joke. This is, so this is a thing throughout this movie, Mark. These characters from Fantasia just inexplicably know just like real world phraseology and terminology. Yes. It's, it's and wild. use that knowledge to make like 90s sitcom jokes. Of course, like you do. <laughs> and Junior has fallen onto Mount Rushmore. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like, are they just, are they attracted to their elements? What's happening? It's all, it's a very weird sequence. It is definitely put in there to be comedy. It is a comedy montage. Yep, it sure is. I think uh, Barky has the best bits, probably. Just because he's firing it off like a desperate 90s stand-up comedian. (laughs) He is rapid fire with his jokes. Sparky is working that room. Yep. I mean, there could be some cute trees listening. You never know. (laughs) As It is a bit like just abject horror, like terror for him because he's, he gets dropped into the middle of a forest that is being deforested. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) They are just... Yeah, like to him, he's wandered. My brain is overactive, and I try and put myself in the the shoes. Like if I walked into a place and somebody was just hacking up people, yeah, I I I would probably be pretty stressed out. I would not be yeah. making weird rapid fire comedy jokes. There but, is some what should be like whatever the tree version of body horror is. Right, in that it sequence. is. A hundred percent. But yeah, like you say, he's just like uh, it's barking a uh, hack Jewish comic from Poughkeepsie. He's working the room. Poughkeepsie. He's just off the Catskill circuit. He'll be here all week. <laughs> Ah-cha-cha. All of these characters are going to attempt to figure out how to get back to Bastion. Yes. Falcor, because he can fly, just takes the direct route. He's going to fly around until he sees Bastion. Uh, correct. And he instead finds Junior, you know, just in time to save him as he's falling off of George Washington's nose. Yep. Just two two children running around at this point. Yep. And that starts a sequence of jokes about how Falcor's back is bad. Yeah. Got a bad back. Maybe. Oh, no. Mark, is is Falcor just going senile? Have we had this all wrong? <laughs> have we be. been have we been dunking on him and he's actually <laughs> struggling with his mental acuity? Yeah, 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 I mean, it's as good a read as any. Look, maybe that's generous, considering the movie sure. that we watch, <laughs> but I, that's the only way I can harmonize it with Bad Back Falcor. Yeah, I think that works. Like, his back is bad. His, you know, his jowls are a little droopy, as would happen to an older okay. dog. Yeah. I, all right. I take back every bad thing that I said about Falcor's uh, <laughs> mental faculties in this movie. 
He's just having a time of it, y'all. Right. He's an older fella who's being forced into action yet again because nobody else can do the work that he can do. Clearly. <laughs> so that's all fine. Mm-hmm. Dad gets home because we're now back in the Bucks household. Dad gets home and finds out that Bastion has skipped school. Uh-huh. And he goes and has a real awkward chat with him. Can dads be this nice, Mark? Can't is this? This was weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure if he's the best dad ever or if the movie's bad or I, I whatever the intent was, uh-huh. I do appreciate very much. I mean, the chat's awkward. It's weird. It's stilted. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate very much that his kind of instinct was to give Bastion the space he needs to work through things. Yeah. And his instinct wasn't like, I'm going to yell at you because your behavior was aberrant from what I wanted it to be. But that I'm going to sort of, on some level, trust that I know you as a competent human. And so if your behavior was aberrant, there's probably a reason for it. And I'm ready when you want to talk to me about it. This might be the best version of dad in terms of being a father that we've seen in these movies so far. Yeah, I think that's fair. So Nicole also pops up after dad to Mm -hmm. just, I think, mostly to call Bastion a nerd. Yeah, she's just being a jerk <laughs> this entire movie. It's fine. Yep, yep. And again, you know, she's a preteen, maybe early yeah. teen girl who has had a new dad and brother forced on her. It's totally okay for you to not be, like, in full control of your, like, emotional... A hundred percent. That's Like, fine. this is... Here's the thing. Like, while, like, she's very much playing up this trope of, like, the 90s sister that just, like... I hate my big brother and I'm just the the sibling that gives you shit and right, causes a problem right. for me. While she is that, she also is very much, I feel correctly playing just like a traumatized child of divorce yeah. who very much is trying to push them away before she gets attached and they leave her anyway. Yeah, that is character motivation that we won't really be fully given until the third act of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I think it is fair to interpret that, yeah, she she has seen what happens when people, from her point of view, decide they don't love you and leave. And so it is dangerous to let someone else in. Yeah. We cut very jarringly to the nasties who seem to be hiding out in a secret cave. Sure. Like you do. Where are, uh, honest honest to goodness, where are they? Like, what is that place supposed to be? It's like, it's at the mall, right? Is it? Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. I did not put that together, but that makes sense. At the end of the movie, it seems to me that it's like a hollowed out section in a mall parking lot. Like a wall has oh, a hole okay. in it there. Okay. And they move the dumpster to like, it's like their private ah. area or whatever. Yep. I don't know why it was made, but like that seems to be its location. So they're still reading the book. Slip is reading the book to them as though they are his children. Sure. Which is weirdly touching. I sort of like that. Like, they're all just, like, crowded around his feet, his girlfriend's leaning on his shoulder, and he's just reading a story to them. It is kind of sweet, right? It is. It's cute that they're half-gang, half-polycule, just decided to, like, cuddle up and read a book to each other after school. (laughs) So, Jack Black, of course, figures out the importance of Orin, because it's right there in the story, and he says, oh, Mm -hmm. great, okay, Bastion has brought Orin back to this reality, so obviously we need to steal that thing, because... It has unlimited wish-granting power. Of course. Jack Black seems to be the only person who really fully grasps the terrible power of Orin. Yeah. it. I, I don't know if everyone else is just too innocent or what. Could be. <laughs> he also might be the most, like, 
putting aside the just like the shapeless void and existential horror that is the nothing uh he might sure. be the most effective villain over the course of for this certainly more effective than zaid more focused too yeah bastion is just keeping watch out his window because he has been told mm-hmm. by the childlike empress via orin that he can't is that he can't use orin to just wish the book back to him mm-hmm. because of like i don't know plot contrivance because like it things went bad when like Fantasia characters are in your world. So you can't use Orin's power or something, whatever. They very much hand wave it. They're like, but he can't do that. And then we're just left to accept it as an audience. Yes. Somewhere along the way, a writer realized how bad it was to have an amulet that grants unlimited wishes. Right. If you wish to have any tension in your movie. So Bastion's been keeping an eye out. He sees Falcor like flying (laughs) through the sky with his, telescope i guess <laughs> question mark I, it honestly looked kind of like he was looking through a cylinder of quaker oats that he had hollowed out <laughs> sure but he sees bastion and like or he sees falcor and tracks him like just runs beneath him i guess until falcor touches down in chinatown i think yeah they do this thing that you have seen in every movie where especially movies that are rooted around this time period or mm-hmm. are otherwise rooted around people who haven't put their finger on the pulse of society since the, this time period. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. In that, well, if it's if there's weird shit happening at a, a parade where there's a bunch of foreign, in big air quotes, right. stuff going on, no one will notice because it's all equally weird to us whites. It feels like, and that's very true, and it feels like especially Chinatown gets that treatment a hundred percent. Like, weird things can hide in Chinatown, because everything's weird there. Yeah, it's Chinatown uh, or Mardi Gras. It's like, those are the two that they go back to time and time again. Falcor tries to flirt with a Chinese dragon? Yep. Uh, Again, I want more horny Falcor, please. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's pretty, it's, it might be, it's some of the best stuff in this movie somehow. And ultimately they sort of like, they find Bastion, they fly away. No one is remotely bothered by this or even seems to notice that it's happening. And when they get home, we cut briefly to, uh, Engawook and Urgle mm-hmm. who have just apparently dropped down outside of a FedEx. Sure. I don't understand. Again, they don't need to be in this movie. There's no reason for them to be in this movie. They're fun, but they walk into a FedEx, climb into a box, mail themselves to Bastion, and then spend the rest of the movie joking about how they have to pee. Yeah, they get get sidelined in this movie so that we can spend more time with Junior and the tree man. Man, yeah. And it's a weird take. All I can think about is like all the fun borrowers-esque shit you could get up to. Like, with these characters, and we don't get any of that. Instead, we get a retread of, there was a solid decade, so E.T. happened. Mm -hmm. And E.T. featured a kid who hid a secret alien in his room Uh and drew a lot of comedy from that premise. Are you talking about Mac and Me? Is that what you meant? (laughs) Right. And then for, like... A solid 15 years after that, we just got treated to a sequence of movies where a kid found an alien and tried to hide him in his room, and we drew comedy from that. Of course. 
And this is just, it's just that trope again. He's going to hide a big rock baby in his house. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be funny because the rock baby doesn't understand. So he makes noise and breaks things. And then mom and dad catch them, but they don't see the baby. So they don't understand why Bastion is making noise and breaking things. Of course. And we get, I don't know. We get Ernest stepmother again, just being like, this is, this is less usage hours. Very good, Bastion. This right. is actually, like, she's just trying so hard. Like, she just wants. She doesn't understand why this is happening, but she wants to connect with Bastion. And she recognizes on some level that, like, he's going to be acting out in some weird ways because life is hard for him. And, like, the best thing we can do is to minimize it. The, yeah, this poor woman just wants this to work so bad that she is, like excusing all of the all of the stuff that she should not be excusing like i feel so bad for this woman this entire movie which i don't think is what the movie wants me to feel but it is where i land absolutely (laughs) all of that is maybe it would be funny i don't know if i weren't so annoyed by junior but this entire chunk of the movie like i get what it's doing i see the 90s jokes that it's making it's fine it it all works the way they want it to but mostly I am just irrationally angry at Junior for being a moron. I don't like Junior. I wish we got less of him in general. Just in, yep. like, if I could orn him out of existence, I would. <laughs> we are now entering the inexplicable third leg of this movie. So they wake up and go to school. <laughs> in the morning, preschool, Nicole steals Orin just because it's shiny and I guess she thinks it might be important to her brother, so she's going to steal it. Sure. That tracks. They all go to school. The Nasties are at school, despite being expelled. Just here to, like, glower at Bastion and threaten him about wanting Orin. Mm-hmm. That's all going to get sidelined for a few. I mean, you'd think the big part of the plot here would be Bastion and the Nasties. That's all going to get sidelined for a bit while we follow Nicole to class and she learns how Orin works. This scene is distressing. This is where we reach peak Disney Channel original movie to me. It sure is. Nicole is just a kid taking the piss out of her mean teachers, right? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Yep. We get it. She realizes that like, oh, she said the phrase I wish and then it worked. So mm-hmm. she puts two and two together, says, ah, I've got a wishing amulet mm-hmm. and uses it to go shopping. We have to get teen girl shopping spree into our 90s movie. Yeah. She goes with a friend of hers whose mother is like, oh, good. I'm glad to see your mom finally gave you a credit card, irresponsible 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to the very classic 1990s shopping montage. Yes. Which is fun. This is a specific thing, too, that I think we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. I miss malls. And malls are terrible, like, you know, just like literal physical manifestations is, of consumerism. Yeah, the, 100%. I'm, I'm with you and here. they are kind of a blight on society in many mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. But I miss them. I liked hanging out at a mall. So while she is shopping, Bastion just goes home and signs for Barky, who has been delivered to his house. Sure. Why? Don't really know. There's some throwaway line about them being the only bucks in the phone book or something. There's a moment right here in this movie that gave me Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle vibes where uh, he, like they say something about the statue and then Barky like like knocks him over and then does like a, like a goofy little face. <laughs> yep. And it, it gives me the same energy as that bit from the second 
uh, from Secret of the Ooze, the worst turtle yep. movie, don't at me, um, <laughs> where Donnie's just being pushed back and forth like a blow-up clown. <laughs> and because they had limited plot devices for getting the gang back together, Eng mm-hmm. and Erg also just mailed themselves back. So Bastion just goes home and gets everyone from the mail and yep. then goes to the mall. We couldn't have had them, like, on Barky's journey with him, could we? Like, that couldn't have been a thing. Nope. <laughs> I don't know why they broke those characters up. I don't I don't know. They could have done so much more with those those tiny people. It's very weird. Again, they're mostly just making jokes about having to pee. They are just very upset that they have to piss in this box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At this juncture, because Slip and the Nasties are still reading from the book, it seems as though, like, the nastiness is somehow infecting the real world as well. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the, the like, the breakdown here. But it seems like not only is Fantasia being, like, physically consumed by fireballs, but the real world is being enveloped by nastiness. Yeah, there's some weird uh, Ghostbusters to... Yeah. Power Rangers the movie shit going on here where there's just like bad vibes in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't understand I don't understand it either. I but again, Disney Channel original movie, I am just rolling with it and not my head is empty <laughs> during this movie, Mark. I I made the choice early on, head That's empty. That's a good choice. Movie on, and I had a much better time. I like I am only noticing half of this stuff sitting here talking to you because now my brain is turned back on. <laughs> in in the context of all of this, Bastion does find Nicole, but the nasties get Orin. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, when like the nast like maybe their wishes are like echoing in our reality. And we know Orin can affect our world, so that that tracks to some degree. Mm-hmm. They're sending like crab monsters into Fantasia. Sure. And again, there's to some effect. All of this is echoing back on the real world. Bastion's parents show up and just have a real weird fight in yeah. front of Bastion and Nicole. They do have a real weird fight just in the middle of this mall upset about how Nicole is spending all this. Where is she getting this money for all these things What's <laughs> right. going on here? They just gave you all of this stuff like. It's it's very odd and is definitely forced in there because they needed to make the parents fight about something. Yeah, I think it's and clear. Despite the fact that like this relationship never clicks, sure. the rest of the movie has given us ample proof that these two don't like they go out of their way not to fight right now. So they had to make up something to like, well, there's got to be a reason for conflict here. Yeah, I, I think it's just the bad vibes. I think it's the nasty. Like the I think the yeah. answer is like the like the nasty is doing it to them. I think that landed for me a little better than it did for you. But also I'm pretty sure just behind the scenes <laughs> he has a gun to this lady's head, forcing her yes. to be in a relationship with him because there's no chemistry. No, not at all. So Nicole freaks out and runs into the longest, widest alley. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in any city on all of Earth. It is almost as wide as the alley that Falcor like flies down in the, into the first <laughs> yes. movie. Yep. And this is, it's a little awkward. Like the, the dialogue maybe could have been given a second or third pass. Uh-huh. 
But this is a weirdly sweet moment between Bastion and Nicole because Bastion yells at her and she starts crying and they sort of sort through together everything that we kind of touched on earlier, the weirdness of being forced to be siblings, the fact Mm -hmm. that she's pushing him away because she doesn't want to get close to lose someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a legitimately nice moment between these two actors, even if the dialogue lets them down in places. Yeah, I feel like the dialogue lets them down, especially because like Bastion has been nothing but nice this entire movie to her. Yes. And like they try and turn it around like you're not allowed to be mad about all the mean things I said and did to you over the last like week, yeah. <laughs> however long this movie yeah. has been. And that's <laughs> weird for me because I'm just like, well, yeah. I feel like she's gaslighting him there. And that like presses some There's buttons. There's a bit of that, that for sure. Yes. That presses some buttons that I'm not down with. But I am glad that she at least contextualizes all of her nastiness <laughs> by... Right. I was a bad person, but then she's at least a little self-aware of it. So they head back together for a confrontation with the nasties. Yes. I completely lose track of the entire thread here. (laughs) The the cameraman appears to just be stumbling around. (laughs) There's several times the camera pans over an inner tube inside of a shopping cart. I don't know why, but it's on screen more than twice. I don't know why either. I, I didn't even notice that, but I'm I'm glad it's something that you picked up on. <laughs> and the confrontation largely takes the form of Nicole either reading the never-ending story or perhaps just making it up. She is narrating Sebastian as like a karate action hero. Yeah, like they get back to the nasties in their weird cave place. Junior's yep. trying to kiss the nasties. Yep, that's what man. he does. Junior wants kisses from everybody. It's it, weird. Of course. All that 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 little rock boy is just so thirsty for kisses. Yep. And, <laughs> and I don't know, we get we get to a point where like Jack Black's like, fight me one on one. Fucking put the Orin down. You don't need you yeah, you can't beat me without the Orin, small child. And like, yeah, you're a twenty five year old man, Jack Black. Like you're you are a full like ten years older than this child. <laughs> Of course yes. he stands no track like chance. This is called child <laughs> abuse. Like of course. Yep. So but it works because, you know, men. And, <laughs> and he's like, "Fine, I'll put down yep. my magic wishing rock and I'll fight you." And Nicole starts reading about how he I guess just knew karate. It yeah, it's it's unclear whether she's making it all up. The yep. movie doesn't tell us. But it works, and he karate's the nasties, I guess. <laughs> right, I guess. Falcor shows up and growls at them or something, mm-hmm. and they all run away. Yeah, Falcor sticks his head in at the very end and is like, I'm here! Yeah! And they get very spooked and run away. Nicole and Sebastian, or mm-hmm. Nicole and Bastion, yes. turn together to read the never-ending story. Which appears to tell them, like, it's just, it's got real bitter. Like, the never-ending story just got real bitter. Yeah. Maybe this is Echoes of the Nasty still, I guess? Is that how we're supposed to interpret this? This is a movie about tone policing and how it's good, actually. It's the most milk toast centrist bullshit ever, and I... Yep. Ugh. If, if the movie was not meant to be a direct-to-television uh, Disney Channel original movie... I would be angrier yep. about it. 
I'm not because it knows what it is and it doesn't care. But the conceit is bad. (laughs) But that's very much what this movie is nonetheless. It's just like, yeah, if everyone's smiley, nothing bad can happen. If we're all just nicer to each other, some people won't want to be horrible bullies to you like yep. you have bull you have people in this movie that prove that that's not true you have that's, to wish yep. away their shittiness <laughs> you have to wish yep. them away from being bullies <laughs> like you reject your own conceit at the end of this film movie what are you uh <laughs> it's very weird it's weird but the book is just talking about how the rock biters and the bucks families are getting divorced that's yeah. just what's happening yeah, the rock biters are fighting and getting divorced, which nobody cares about because the lady rock biter didn't exist before this movie, and this rock biter is not our rock biter. So who nope. fucking cares? Nobody and cares. There, and there's no chemistry between Bastion's mom and dad, and we only no. <laughs> kind of care about that because the kids care. But they they run home. Mm-hmm. They give their step parents hugs, by which I mean Bastion runs to mom. And mm-hmm. Nicole runs to dad, which is a nice little moment. Yeah, they call them mom and dad for the first time all the Right. Like you have to do, because this is a 90s movie, and we of have course. to have that particular payoff. Sure. And I guess Barky takes the amulet, because they are gonna they have to take Oren to get home. So all the Fantasia <laughs> people go home. Yeah. And Barky, which I am really amused by. So you may remember that in movie one, Bastion had to use the power of Orin to wish Fantasia back, like one wish at a time. Yeah. Barky is a very root one thinker and just says, I wish that Fantasia would go back to how it was before this happened. Yep. One wish, problem solved. Done. You don't got to rebuild nothing. Which kind of makes him a god. Kind of makes yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of makes him omnipotent as well. Uh, we do we do get payoff to the gnomes having to pee. That's a like that's a point that this movie is going to pay off. I guess. Cause we're going to like one of the, th- cause this movie has, as a lot of movies do just like a montage of plot resolutions. Right. Uh huh. We see the kids and their family being happy. We see the rock biters and junior returns home and they love each other. Barky wishes Fantasia back. And then the gnomes go to his and hers bathrooms. Yep. That's, that's an actual scene in this movie is two gnomes. I love your last three bullet points on our rundown for this movie because it just says Gnomes P, Bastion manipulates humanity for personal gain. High fives. Go away, Falcor. <laughs> yeah. The movie ends with Falcor flying away, which is how I need this movie to end. Bastion does manipulate humanity for personal gain, too. Like he yeah. turns, th- he wishes the bullies were nerds? Question mark? Yep. I do like Jack Black's characterization of his character as a, like, studious senior. Thank you for validating me in that, because I, too, was very (laughs) into it. I was like, this is working for me. I I enjoy the way that this character character works. There's something just so charming and funny about it. There is. I also dig that his girlfriend still has the giant snake tattoo. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then they high- he and Nicole high-five- but the actress yeah. of Nicole clearly mistimed the jump. <laughs> it's so good. I rewound on it like five times to watch her like head fake the jump because her hand goes up and then she like pulls back to the ground and then she jumps again. She is so bad at jumping. <laughs> For a split second, I thought that's straight up how they were going to end the movie was with the jumping high five. <laughs> yep. They didn't. 
I don't know if that would have been better or worse. It certainly would have been funnier, but they didn't go that route. No, we cut back to Falcor, who's just like here to say, oh, I like this part of the movie. This is my favorite part of the movie. And then he he flies away upside down. (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah, it's my favorite part of the story. He yeah, Falcor flies off. And yeah, goes he, away. like he flies off in this weird looping arc that looks like missile physics from like a '90s sci-fi anime. Maybe Falcor was just like they called up Falcor and they said we're shooting another never-ending story. He's like again, <laughs> and like he's like all right, but I am showing up to set drunk every single day. <laughs> the only way I'm getting through this is inside a bottle of Jameson. Yeah, hundred percent. Which would also explain his characterization in this movie. It's not that he can't land. He's drunk. He's drunk (laughs) He's too drunk to land. Yeah. (laughs) This was a movie. It sure was. It sure was a movie. Here's, because it's ranking time. It's time to rank this movie. And here's what I will say about this movie. And you said it at the top. It is at least fun. Uh This movie is fun. Right. It's stupid as all get out. I'm not sure the plot holds up to any level of scrutiny. Mm-mm. The dialogue is ham fisted. The jokes are real bad. Mm-hmm. But it two things I will say for it is it's got it's got charm mm-hmm. and it's got pacing. At no point in the movie did I look down to say like how much time is left in this movie, mm-hmm. only to realize that it was two minutes since the last time I looked down. <laughs> sure. Like like what's the second movie? Right. So inexplicably for that reason alone never ending story three return to or escape from fantasia ranks number two on my list i'm going never ending story return to and then the second chapter mark we continue to be the same person (laughs) i went into this movie thinking this is gonna be hot dog shit and i honestly thought like oh this is gonna be the one that proves the podcast name the third one uh sucks yeah and I mean, it kind of does. It's a bad movie. It, yeah, it's not good. It is like Disney Channel original movie from your childhood good that you revisit right. and go, oh, I was just a child. That's why right. I thought this was the greatest thing ever. So for but, that, yeah, 100%. I'm putting at the very bottom of my list, Never Ending Story 2, because it's a slog. And it just makes me upset. It wants yep. to, it's, it's trying to be something and failing at every turn. Whereas yes, number two on my list is never ending story three because it knows what it is. It doesn't try to be more than it is. It knows the audience it's playing to and it embraces that it knows it's not going to be high art. It's just trying to be a fun time for children and it succeeds in being a fun time for children. It does. It does. And so inexplicably this one comes in some, and also, I mean, yeah. let's not kid ourselves. Jack Black is helping here. Oh, Jack Black is definitely carrying this movie in a lot of places. Like he, <laughs> Jack Black is just Jack Black in this movie and it's fine. Nope. You, I guarantee you, if you watch this movie, you will not be mad that Jack Black is being Jack Black in this movie. You may be right. mad at yeah. everything else happening around it, <laughs> but, but like. It's fine. I I went in expecting a subpar sequel to one of my favorite movies, the first movie, the first Neverending Story, obviously, and I would have some campy fun with Jack Black, and I got exactly that, honestly. Delivered on both counts, yep. (laughs) 
among all of them, I will talk about Neverending Story 1 forever because it's a fascinating mm-hmm. movie. But I would also probably talk about this movie forever because it is fascinating for very different reasons. It is way on the other end of the, like, bathos pathos spectrum from the first movie. <laughs> and yet still endlessly fascinating with the, some of the choices that they made. Where that second movie just lives in this, like, off-kilter middle area where we have, what is his name, Nimbly? That fucking bird. I cannot. Nimbly, yep. I'm still mad about him turning to the camera. After the, <laughs> like, the movie goes to painstaking lengths to be like, this is exactly how this happens. This is what's going yep. on here. And this is how all of these things work. And then to turn and immediately have him be like, yep, exactly what all they said, but catchy into the camera. And I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is the set design in the second movie better? Are the creature designs better in the second movie? I think all of those, the answer sure. to all those yep. things is yes. Does it at least attempt to have some heart to it? Sure. But it's boring and bad. So like... Give me this schlocky camp. It's it, give me this instead. I don't know how many different ways we can say that that I have not already said, but like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's just more fun. And that's gonna put a cap on the inexplicable, often surprising, almost never what I expected it to be, never-ending story trilogy. What's next for us? Next up, we're gonna be watching uh, perennial favorite of uh, friend of the podcast, Jake Mason, Pitch Perfect. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at The Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. It premiered in January. That VPN is getting to me. Yeah, yeah, your VPN is rerouting the language centers of your brain through Sweden as well. That's a human name. Yeah. Yes. Jody Sweden. That sounds like, can we get, are you sure that we are not running everything through your VPN through Sweden? Because (laughs) Jody Sweden very much sounds like just something that you've made up, even though I know that's the right name.